0: Welcome to the second installment of Substack Talk with Siobhan and Diane. It's our bi-monthly conversation about Substack, our newsletters and writing in general. I'm your co-host, Diane Hatz from Whole Health with Diane Hatz. I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Siobhan Skordinski from The Flare. So today's guest is Samantha Demers, a creator exploring imposter syndrome and growth on Twitter. She helps creators reach their goals and create content without burning out. So we'll get to Samantha in a second. I'm Siobhan. I just wanted to say hi and see how are things going with you? So um, I am doing well. Um,
1: Things are going along swimmingly. I just had a piece of uh, short fiction released today to my paid subscribers because I'm famous now. Um, Of course you are. (laughs) Famous to me, which is good enough, Um, but yeah, just kind of toiling away on some of my projects that I have and uh, getting more information as I go along from other uh, creators and writers about how to grow, how to change, how to pivot around uh, setbacks, things like that. So things have been going well, but I want to hear about your vacation that you just went on, Diane.
0: Oh my gosh. I went to the Bisti Badlands and it's the Dana Zen Wilderness. Um, I had to download GPS, there's no trails. It's all these hoodoos and beautiful, beautiful rock formations. And then as we were there, we just saw the sign, Angel Peak Scenic, like drive or, or area. So we were like, Aah! and we turned off. It it was the most colorful Grand Canyonish kind of unbelievable spiritual experience I think I've ever had. And um, and we did Chaco Canyon, which I hadn't heard of Bisti or Chaco Canyon until I moved to New Mexico. Chaco Canyon, okay, one area in there is from 59 BC, that's negative 59. And it's like in this country, I think people sometimes don't understand how rich the indigenous culture is out here. Um, so I definitely will go back to all of those areas, the two days. is not enough time, but oh, it's so exciting and I needed it. I needed, like I yelled in a Canyon, I yelled in the wild expanse of nothingness. And I think that's just a great stress relief.
1: Great inspiration for writing. Cause we always talk about writer's block and not thinking of ideas. And sometimes you need to do sort of the walkabout to get yourself centered, to get back to what you're doing
0: and that's one of the reasons i wanted to go away one of the reasons i'm excited to have samantha is to start helping i mean just selfishly starting to starting to help me focus because i'm still figuring out my Substack, still figuring out how you know it's going to be promoted uh like i said i love clubhouse like the new clubhouse since i've been here i think this is a great way to promote it through but should i have another another podcast what's this review thing so we're going to get into all that with samantha um So I'm going to give a brief introduction for her, and we're just going to jump in. Um, Samantha is the founder of Samantha Demers Consulting. She helps creators get clarity, take action, and achieve their goals through her writing, coaching, and speaking. She works with creators one-on-one to help them grow, get clarity on their niche, and overcome their fears and imposter syndrome. She's currently writing the Creator's Guide to Overcoming Imposter Syndrome. What a great so, introduction.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Welcome, Samantha.
1: <laughs> Thanks for joining us. So nice us. to hear your voices. So, um, yay. Just uh, If we can just start off with telling the audience about
2: you and about your work. Yeah, so Diane did a great summary, but I am a... I'm a normal person. I am an older millennial. I'm a mom to two young teenage girls. They're 13 and 14. And I had a safe and secure job at the House of Commons of Canada for about 12 years. Near the end of my time there, I had gotten my dream job to be the event coordinator. I loved that job, but I had a micromanaging boss, and I also got burnt out. So during the time I burnt out, I realized that my dreams had changed, and it was no longer my dream job. So I decided to give up these golden handcuffs to move on and uh, that I would rather, although I could have, like I was set to retire at 55 with a full pension, I would rather spend the next 20 years working on building something that I love, even if it didn't pan out, I would rather spend that time working towards something and working even into my retirement years and be happy rather than be kind of happy, but just look forward to weekends and, um, and vacation and then be sometimes miserable the rest of the time. So I made the choice to quit. I started doing a bit of freelancing or part-time work. I do online marketing with my husband. Um, but in that time, it's been about five years. I also wanted to have a personal brand. I wanted to write a book or start a blog or have a YouTube channel or start a podcast, And I had so many ideas. I have so many things. I almost started. I have blog posts that are half written, outlines for these books and podcasts and YouTube channel and everything. And then I felt like I couldn't do it. I had tons of imposter syndrome. I felt like my niche wasn't clear enough. And I thought like, okay, well, once my niche is clear, then I'll know what to do. It'll be so easy because I'll just create my whole website and it'll make sense. And after four years, I realized I had never done anything. I had just had these half-written things and all these dreams that weren't happening. And so in March of 2021, I stumbled upon Ship 30 for 30 and decided that I needed the accountability to get stuff out there, to just start putting something in the internet world that are my thoughts and ideas. It was really great because it was on Twitter and all my, my mom friends and my family and friends from my childhood were on Instagram or Facebook. So I thought Twitter was perfect because although I have an old account, it's so old that Barack Obama is one of my followers, but um, I just hadn't used it much. And so none of my friends were active there. So I thought it was a perfect place to hide in the shadows and start creating stuff and thought, okay, I'll do ship 30 for 30. And then at the end of the 30 days, I'll definitely know what my niche is and then I could start a blog or I could do a podcast or something And although I learned a lot with Ship 30 for 30 and I I did get over a lot of my fears and imposter syndrome, I still didn't know what my niche was. But I was enjoying Twitter and I had made friends probably because of joining a cohort, having the accountability and getting that connection with people. So I just stayed on Twitter. And around that time, I discovered Twitter spaces and thought, well, this is a good place to start practicing talking. And as you can see, ladies, I'm pretty good at talking now. But a year ago, I wasn't so good at talking. I wasn't so good at sharing my story, and uh, I have come a long way in one year.
0: Samantha, you were like six months ahead of me, so you're <laughs> going to be my guru that I'm going to follow, because I'm in the same boat. Like I shut down my nonprofit officially at the end of December. I'm now transitioning to writer, but it's like I'm doing the Substack, and then I've got a podcast I'm talking about, then there's Siobhan and I started this, and like I, and I have a million things I've started writing, and I'm just confused right now, so that's why I'm very excited to have you. Oh, um, on That's
1: here now. So, good. so um, just, to, just to start the line of questions. Um, give me
0: one second.
1: Uh, so, what are some of the biggest challenges you have with building your brand?
2: The biggest challenges, um, which are starting to clear up, probably because I've been doing this for a year. Um is finding a niche and really knowing what I want to talk about, who I want to talk to, and what I want to say. And I've been sharing this a lot in in Twitter spaces lately uh, and now on Clubhouse, apparently. But um, <laughs> I see that a lot of creators st- start out this way. And often, even if their their niche is really clear, I see a lot of them that will change their niche after a couple of months or three or four months or six months later, as they realize that, something that they set out to talk about that they might not love as much as they love or thought they love talking about that um, it doesn't inspire them. Or maybe they just don't have that much to say about it. Or they write something that is not really in their niche, but other people love it so much and it gives them so much energy. So they continue down that path. And so I know this definitely was a struggle for me. And even for people that have a niche, I find that that can be a struggle because they're really clear on what they want, but sometimes that changes. And, What I've been encouraging a lot of people to do recently, um, especially as they're just beginner creators or they're on a platform where they don't have a lot of followers yet, is to try a lot of things and talk about a lot of things, not in a hugely disparaging way where they're like talking about wine and then talking about their pets and talking about uh, personal growth, although they could, that's totally fine. But um, just the things that they're interested in to test out, do you really like to talk about it? Do you have a lot to say on it? Do you want to keep talking about it? And so that was a huge challenge for me. And also knowing that as I would niche down and and even with imposter syndrome, I started writing the book in August, but it didn't really resonate as my niche. I was just, I just wanted to write a book and thought like, well, that's a book. I can write about it. I've had imposter syndrome. And as I started to talk about it more and more, I would be invited suddenly onto podcasts to talk about it and to be a guest in Twitter spaces, talk about it, or people would DM me to ask me questions about it. And I now see it as my niche, or at least the thing that I am i could be a thought leader in as I continue to finish my book and do a bit more research in it. But I didn't start out that way. And even when I started writing the book, I didn't see myself as that expert.
0: Do you think people should just narrow it down to one niche? Do you think it's okay with more than one? Like I have focuses, but I'm still whittling do you think it's important to be like for now you are just imposter syndrome focused
2: you know I have my so I have this imposter syndrome thing and most of the time people see it because they'll see it in my bio on Twitter that I say that I'm writing a book about it and that's where I sometimes get um, the invitations to speak about it in podcasts but my content it sometimes does really well when I write about imposter syndrome and sometimes it doesn't. But Mm -hmm. the things that do really well is when I talk about being a creator and it's sort of adjacent to imposter syndrome. I talk about here's how I got over my fears or I led this many Twitter spaces and I was still scared and and it it does have to do with imposter syndrome, but it's not specifically about it. And I, I sort of talk more about being a creator or not burning out and reaching your goals. And so I have, a few things that I enjoy talking about, and there's other things, Diane, that in real life I could talk to you for hours about that I do not talk about in my content on Twitter at all. Mm. So
0: why don't we jump into Twitter? Because to us, you are, and I'm sure you are to everyone, an expert on Twitter and Twitter spaces. Um, I'm asking this for myself also, but you know, I, I've seen on Subsec there's a lot of new writers that come in like, I don't understand this Twitter thing, and we're supposed to be using it, and how do I grow an audience? So do you have a simple way to sort of give people tips on how they can utilize it, grow their audience, you know, and sort of do something with it besides just throwing tweets into the the black hole of Twitter. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that is the most frustrating part of Twitter, or I imagine any social media platform. I just haven't tried to do it on Instagram that much. But uh, on Twitter, it definitely feels like a black hole because you don't even have a pretty picture usually to put with it. You're just like, here's my idea. Does anybody like my idea? Um, And then nobody likes your idea. And you're like, am I just an idiot? And I wrote the stupidest thing that's ever been written in the history of mankind. Um, That's definitely how I felt. (laughs) So I think that Twitter is, is a really great place because of the way that I think. I really like intellectual ideas. And although I like the pretty things on Instagram, I don't love taking selfies. And so I felt like it was a good place for me to, to explore and share things. There's a few things with Twitter growth that I think you need, um, which is to have a sort of community. And so I imagine that you and Siobhan, maybe have a few other writers as well that you get along with. And so you can DM each other and talk about your struggles and like each other's posts and comment on things. But what I've noticed with Twitter is Twitter likes it when you engage with the platform. And so a lot of people will say, make sure you engage with bigger accounts. And so you get exposure. It's not only about getting exposure on your thought. That was a cool thought on some big accounts. Um, tweet and your comment is cool and people like it and so then they follow you like that can happen but just engaging on other people's content shows the algorithm that you're active and what I have also noticed is that Twitter does not like it when you take time off it likes it when you are there pretty much every day and so even days when I'm slowing down or I'm having a quieter month I make sure that I come on and and answer a few people and check my tweets and and reply to comments but this is only because i think it was around october that i started to take twitter more seriously although i was on it almost all the time before i don't think i really skipped that many days just because i had built up friendships there but i wasn't as intentional as i am now and so if you're coming on twitter um really intentional and wanting to build an audience it's very possible to do and it's very possible to do quickly if you do the right things and also you could just dabble and figure it out and then after three or four months or six months when you realize, hey, this is a place I, I really want to grow because I think the audience is valuable and growing an audience here is worth my while because it's, it's way easier to grow an audience on TikTok from what I hear, although I'm not really making videos on TikTok, but I hear it's much easier. Um, the Twitter is not easy to grow on, but it's possible if you are willing to put in the work, which is showing up every day and, and engaging in that sort of thing.
1: I would I would agree with that. Um, when I first started following Samantha, that was one of the comments that people were kind of reiterating in, in some of the creator circles was about um, engagement and persistence. So it was probably about November that I started really lining up tweets for every day and just thinking about different things, um, about writing, about leadership, about different topics and scheduling them to post so that it's not this fatigue of having to show up every day and think of an idea. The ideas are coming to you in a relaxed state and you can post them, you can schedule them to post for you know a month out or two weeks out. If you don't like it, you know after a day or so when you've let it sit, you can always delete it or change it, something like that. So there's methods to keep yourself engaged without having to necessarily feel like it's a slog. And, you know, since I write down so many ideas, I think it was coming into March. I was like, my gosh, I have no tweets for this month. And then I looked in my drafts. I was like, oh, wow, actually I do. So that's, I would, I would agree with that. And I would say that that's one method I've used. I would also say about growth is that um, like Samantha was saying with engaging with big accounts, you can get 500 likes on a silly reply to someone's viral post you will get so many impressions, you'll get thousands of impressions, you'll get, you know, tens of profile visits, and you might get a few follows. But those people will probably unfollow you. Because you were there for the joke, but they're not going to be there for the writing. So that's kind of a risk, too, is that you have to kind of build that authentic audience. Um, and that could be hard. And I know that with some of the writers who have followed me, they've stayed. With the folks who followed me when I was you know, yucking it up on some other posts that didn't.
0: Do either of you happen to know, on Instagram, I know it's consistency of posting, not the amount of posts. On Twitter, is it quantity over consistency? As in if if, you know, if I got into a schedule where I did two times a week on Instagram, that can be even better than Randomly doing it here and there? Like, do you guys know if it's the algorithm wants you on there every single day or if you're on two or three times a week and you're doing quality interactions?
2: From what I've heard other people say and what I've noticed, it likes it when you're there at least once a day. And for a lot of people, even some people that I know that have really big accounts now, they did one tweet a day for a long time. And so I did not do one tweet a day because I did not know how to write a tweet to save my life. And I am not even joking. I could not, I, I tried writing tweets. They sounded awful to me and I would not put them up. Um, even though I started on Twitter in March and I did ship 30 for 30, I found spaces. And so I was hosting spaces. And then I was doing threads occasionally and I would do threads based on the way that I'd learned to do essays. And so I, I still had this sort of medium form content where I would put it out and I could explain my whole idea and I didn't have to just cut it down into one. Um, But in August, which I guess was uh, probably five months later, I saw the Tweet 100 challenge and it was a bit longer of a challenge than I usually like to do, but all my friends were doing it. So I thought, well, fine, I'll say I'll do hundred. And so I committed to doing one tweet a day. So from August till October, I did 50 or 60. And around that time of doing 50 to 60, I realized, Oh, okay, I think I know how to write a tweet now and I I can handle this and I can put together a thought. And uh, I found a Twitter coach at that time and and he suggested I do at least four tweets a day if I wanted to grow. I think I probably had about 3,000 followers at that time. So I decided to listen to him and figured I have nothing to lose. He's growing other accounts. Let me see what happens. And he said that I could go up to six a day, but he didn't want to overwhelm me. So he said, just do four. And I was doing four a day um, from October until probably about February. And recently I've cut back just because I just was not able to keep up with commenting and responding to people. But for that whole time, I was doing four a day. And so like Siobhan was saying, I set it up ahead of time. I would sit in that relaxed state and come up with the content. But that was at the stage where I was ready to, to push my account and, see what could happen. And and mostly I took it as a challenge for myself to see if it was possible to grow it and what would happen. But uh, definitely starting with just one a day and checking in in the morning for like 15 minutes and commenting a little bit, answering people that commented on your stuff. And then at night, um, checking in again for another 10 to 15 minutes and just responding to some comments and maybe putting out a few comments on others. That's usually enough just to get the algorithm used to you showing up and and I I call it like warming up the algorithm and training the algorithm that hey I'm Diane and I show up and I engage with people and eventually you don't have to show up as much um as you train the algorithm that you're going to show up and comment with people so you don't have to be as intentional I find okay so let's talk briefly i don't want to take
0: too much time cuz i know we want to get into a conversation about imposter syndrome but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Sorry, clubhouse people, but your thoughts on Twitter spaces versus clubhouse and then review, which I only by looking at your newsletter that I did I realize that's Twitter's newsletter thing that I love what you do. Samantha, it looks actually like um, a tweets thread. Like you do it really well, but like review versus Substack and Twitter spaces versus clubhouse. And what are your thoughts about everything? And is it, you know, to each to find his own best place to be? Or
2: what do you think? Well, I will, I'll talk about the clubhouse versus Twitter spaces. So because I had an Android phone, I could not participate on clubhouse. And I had a bit of FOMO thinking like, oh, everyone's on there and I can't be on. But at the same time, when I heard the concept, I was like, It sounds really dumb. Like who wants to show up somewhere and you kind of talk and don't people talk over each other. And this is so weird. Like just listen to a podcast if you have something to say. And anyway, it sounded, it sounded dumb. So when I stumbled uh, into um, Twitter spaces last year, I, um, I thought it was like, I was like, Oh, this is actually pretty cool. And so I, since I was on Twitter and thinking I wanted to grow on Twitter, I would try it out and I want to have a podcast. So I thought it was a really easy way to practice speaking and get better at speaking, um, and also hosting, and moderating, and facilitating, which are also skills I wanted to develop. So I think that you could probably do that at either place. You could become a better speaker, and and host, and facilitator, and come up with good topics, and and build your audience um, on either one. I like Twitter Spaces because I wanted to build an audience on Twitter, and have Maybe because I get bored, I like that I can talk and I can also tweet and I can invite them to do things and I can DM them all on the same platform and I like the variety on one platform. But also, I think it's what a lot of people do on Clubhouse and the smart hosts on Twitter do is having a space at the same day and time each week so people get used to it. Right now, if I host a space randomly, I can usually expect that people will show up because they're used to me being... A spaces host, so if they see me up in um, where they show the spaces, they'll know like, oh, Samantha's probably talking about something I enjoy because I go to other spaces. But otherwise, I've built my audience because they know the day and time I'm showing up. And I mostly did that at the beginning to to build the consistency, and also because it was really hard to promote Twitter Spaces because it was like so early on, and Twitter didn't have everything developed like they did now. There was no reminders, so I just had to find workarounds to get people to know about it. Mm. That makes sense. Um, Siobhan,
0: do you want to do a room reset and then we can like jump into your section with imposter syndrome and all? Uh, Sure. So
1: just um, for those joining us, or just as a reminder, um, I'm Siobhan from The Flare, and this is Diane from Whole Health with Diane Hats. And we're talking to Samantha Demers about social media, Samantha's work, branding, imposter syndrome.
0: Okay. Do you want to jump into imposter syndrome? We're very excited to get into this, Samantha. (laughs) I have a problem with it myself.
1: (laughs) So um, if you can just tell us about imposter syndrome, what is it and what's your sort of, how did you develop your interest in that subject matter?
2: So I I felt like an imposter when I started Ship 30 for 30. I, I remember when I wrote in, like, what's your biggest challenge with becoming an online writer? And although I had, like, Samantha, the over-editing
0: – oh, yeah. I'm really sorry to interrupt, but you've said this, like, ten times. Is it Shift 30 for 30, Ship 30 oh, for 30? Ship. And briefly, what is it?
2: Yeah, sorry about that, Diane. Uh, ship 30 for 30, it is a uh, a cohort-based course where you write these 30 essays – They're short, they're about 250 words. Most of the time, people that do this challenge do it on Twitter and they post them as atomic essays, as they call them. It's led by Dickie Bush and Nicholas Cole, who've both been online writers for a little while, especially Nicholas Cole. Dickie was on Twitter and just over a year ago, realized that he was struggling with his blog and getting people to go to his blog. So he decided to write more on Twitter and thought that just doing a challenge of 30 days was a cool idea and asked if others wanted to do it and other people did want to do it and signed up with him. And then over the next few months, he created a whole cohort based course around it, where now they've led thousands of students through this challenge. And um, you meet up twice a week in a zoom call, they teach you things about online writing about being concise and writing good headlines and getting people's attention and finding your niche and that sort of thing. So it's If you're not already uh, an online writer, it's a really good way to get started and to get over those fears and imposter syndrome because you have a group around you and because you have to put out a piece of writing every single day for 30 days. Perfect. Okay. So now take that and then (laughs) let's jump into imposter syndrome. So when uh, you sign up, you, you mentioned like what your biggest struggle is with being an online writer. And one of my big struggles was imposter syndrome, because like I said at the beginning, how I'm I'm a millennial mom, and I used to work for the government. And it's not super exciting. Like I don't, I don't have something super cool to write about. And I don't know what my niche is. And who am I to write stuff and share my ideas. So Okay, I'm sorry
0: to... I'm sorry oh, yeah. to interrupt again because you've said this twice. I'm very anal on explaining things. <laughs>
2: millennial mom,
0: does that mean you're not a millennial? You have a child <laughs> that's a millennial because you said retiring in 55 and I'm like, "Wait a minute. I think she's a Gen X."
2: No, no, no. I am. I'll be thir- I'll be 40 this year. Oh, so, okay. I'm an older millennial and I I'm a okay. mom and I have two girls that are young teens. Mm-hmm. And so because I I don't know, I'm not 20 and in college or writing about those experiences or something. I feel like I don't have much to offer the world. And is that where the imposter syndrome came from? I think so. I think that it came from that and from not having a podcast or a book or a blog or something or even a niche about this is what I talk about.
1: Hmm. That's very relatable for myself as a millennial mom of two um,
2: (laughs) that like you have your,
1: you know, your relationship that's been well-established. You have your status as a mom, you have your corporate job. And um, I can tell you the difference between the way I'm interacting on this space versus if I were actually doing an interview of someone in my professional space, I'm totally Mm -hmm. different. And so I'm not insecure about what I have to say, in my job because I know what I'm talking about. And I don't let anybody tell me that I don't know what I'm talking about. But it's like, you come into a space where you're not comfortable and you're like, you feel like you don't have the same pedigree. So it's like, ooh, should I say this? Shouldn't I say this? Am I prepared? So it's very, very tough to go into a space where you feel like you don't have a command of it. And that, you know, I can look at my resume and say, yes, confident to hand it out. But what's my resume here? online writing I don't have one and so that process of building oh
2: painful painful (laughs) can be (laughs) yeah I think that for me imposter syndrome has come from that a lot from uh and I've shared this with some other you know aspiring creators which is that when you show up online And you're sharing your own original ideas. It's not about you being an expert in your job or um, even if you are an expert cook, like it still would be weird to start putting out your own recipes and is anyone going to care? And I think that that just, it creates an imposter syndrome because you haven't established yourself as that person. But the more that you share those ideas and do it, the more that others see you that way. And sometimes people can see you a certain way and you still don't see yourself that way.
0: Can I also just throw out, I am a little older than both of you. Um, Mm. I and people I know who have been very successful have imposter syndrome. People Mm. who have been very accomplished and are experts in their field have imposter syndrome. They just keep waiting for the shoe to drop. And it's a fascinating, like I I assume Samantha you're um, researching it like studies and stuff done on it because I find it fascinating psychologically.
2: Mhm it seems that the people that have it the most or the worst are people that are high achievers and have accomplished a lot and i I know that for me I've had like it, it seems that like there's two types of imposter syndrome: the type where you're starting out something new and you feel uncomfortable, and the other one where you've been doing something a long time and you still like you're like you've said with some of your friends that they feel like the other shoe is going to drop, and people find out that they're not as accomplished or worthy as. They, they, as others perceive them as, or that they've proven themselves to be, but they still feel like they're not. And mostly recently I've been dealing with the the first type, which is I'm doing something new and I'm not an expert. And even as I become an expert, I don't feel like an expert. And then I've also had the other one where I've done jobs really well or um, had certain accomplishments and I still felt like an imposter and I didn't belong somewhere. And I think it has a lot to do with being a high-achieving individual.
0: Mm.
1: So, uh, how has sort of your critique of imposter syndrome? How does that change the way that you face your own insecurity?
2: I, I think that it's, it's it held me back for a long time, and so I know that it's in some ways not my friend, but as I explored it and was writing it out of my book, I realized also that it is also trying to protect me from embarrassment and from shame and from fear and from rejection. Because if I, if I don't act like I like I belong and I'm here and you just have to deal with me and I just show up, then if somebody says to me like, go, hey, you don't belong here. I'm like, Oh yeah, I know you're right. Like I, I knew I didn't. And that's why I didn't say that I, you should follow me and you should read my newsletter and you should buy my thing, whatever my thing is. So I, I imagine that some people um, that are maybe are more like psychopaths or sociopaths (laughs) may not have it as much because they just do stuff. And then the rest of us are like, Oh, but I, maybe I'm not ready or entirely um, prepared. So I better not act like I deserve to, to have this. And also, if you, I think, when we're younger, and if you're the a responsible type, or you know, a good girl, or you get things done, and that's kind of been your your image your whole life, you always feel like you have to still maintain that, and that you don't want to get in trouble. And so, if you suddenly are like, "Who are you to be talking about imposter syndrome, Samantha? You're not a psychologist." And I'd be like, "You're right. I knew it. I didn't say that I was a psychologist. I just, I'm just trying to talk about it and help people." I'm so
1: sorry. Let me like slowly shrink away into the shadows. (laughs) Um, Yeah, that's tough because uh, I think sometimes when you're, if you're engaging with imposter syndrome and saying like challenging it, you have to kind of look at yourself and say like, is this real? Is like the, I know that it's protecting you, but is the fear that you're feeling real? Like, you know, like Mm my, um, my husband will ask me like, you know, you're upset about, you know, uh, what your boss might say. Did they say anything? And I'm like, well, no, they didn't, but you know, they're thinking it. (laughs) So some of that, some of it's like that, like you are, you are breaking your own heart every day. So um, (laughs) I hope that's part of your book. Like don't break your own heart. Um, Mm. But yes, please tell us about a little bit more about your book.
2: Yeah. So I, (sighs) I, I have found that to help me get over my imposter syndrome, I kind of did it with ship 30 for 30, where I had to write those essays for 30 days in a row. And what's, what's helped me and I've seen it happen with a few other things um, in my creator journey with, with ship 30 for 30 with hosting Twitter spaces um, with doing the tweet 100 challenge. And also with writing a book each time I did it, I, I had a deadline And so I had um, an end date, actually, is what I meant to say, rather than a deadline. I had an end date, so I didn't have to do it forever. And I had a a very clear thing I had to do every day. So write the essay or host a Twitter space for an hour or write a little bit in my book every day for 30 days. And so when I wrote my book, it was a challenge, a 30-day book writing challenge. And the third piece of that is I did it with people. So when I did Ship 30 for 30, we had accountability there. When I've done Twitter spaces, I've almost always had a co-host. And so I'd have to show up with somebody. It's kind of like you, Siobhan, and Diane, how, you know, if one of you doesn't show up, well, the other one's going to be expecting you. So it's like having that gym buddy where you have to show up and do the thing with somebody. But I've always had an end date. And it's kind of helped me to get over my fears and imposter syndrome by having that end date. Because so many things feel like it would be a lifelong commitment. So even recently when I started a newsletter, I felt like it was this huge deal and I'm committing to like write a newsletter once a week for the rest of my life. So it was hard to start, but almost everything else I've done, I've had an end date where at the end I can just decide if I'm not going to do it. And so my mental framework for a lot of the things that I've done as I've been creating is to think about the fact that I have an end date and that this is just an experiment. And so I tell myself that when I'm scared, if I'm invited onto a podcast and I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm like, this is just an experiment. And if I don't like being on podcasts, I don't have to be on them anymore, but I can try it out.
1: That is fantastic, actually. Um, we have such performance anxiety about what we're asked to do, what we do ourselves, and the the whole performance of our, ourselves that... Um, I think if you can just take things as, hey, we're trying this out. This is just a, you know, I, I started, I did ballet when I was in college, right? I had never done it before, but it was like, oh, it's just a class here at the gym. I can just try it. You know, no harm, no foul. Um, That is fantastic. I, I'm going to take that and put it in my pocket if you don't mind.
2: <laughs> Go for it. It's <laughs> worked for me again and again. So fantastic. I highly recommend it. <laughs> yeah, I that's just,
0: amazing. I just find this so fascinating because I, I, I just did some Googling to see if there have been any research or studies or articles written about imposter syndrome in different generations.
1: Mm. But I did
0: just find in the Wall Street Journal, they said up to 82% of people report they felt like an imposter at some point. But I didn't realize it was such a problem with millennials. It's popping up all over the <laughs> internet. You know, I don't know. And I, I think, think it's different. I'm going to say this. I actually think it's different too. Like millennial imposter syndrome, I actually think is different than my generation imposter syndrome. Hmm. Different, different pressures, maybe. Yeah, um, and different times. Vis- I mean, different we're, times. I'm pretty very, pre- visible. Yeah. We're, Sorry?
1: We're, very vis- we're very visible everywhere. Right. And so right. we have our vulnerability that gets exposed very often. Um, if I think about just my real life, I get very embarrassed very infrequently. And I have to meet new people like pretty infrequently. Um, a lot of things are transactional, you know, I do have friends and we go out or whatever, but it's a pretty, you know, safe bubble, um, Twitter and social media and writing and posting and being in public doesn't feel like safe. It feels like you're open to criticism and critique and, and whatever. So it's, I don't know, we have a weird brand, but that's, that would be interesting <laughs> to explore is, uh, imposter syndrome among, uh, millennials
0: seriously yeah it is it's very interesting so we had hoped to to end this at 4 45 so we don't go on too long because i can go on for hours <laughs> um samantha is there anything any final words you want people to know or anything you want to close us
2: with, out with i just want to share that if anyone's listening to this and um they're millennial like me or anyone that's dealing with imposter syndrome that you feel like you can't do something really the, the biggest thing that has got me through that is telling myself that things are an experiment. Like I mentioned earlier, it took so much pressure off and knowing that I could stop, but I had to have a challenged time where I had to do it. And so for example, with hosting Twitter spaces or if somebody's doing something on clubhouse, that if you say I'm going to do this for three weeks and then see how I feel, or I'm going to do it for six weeks and see how I feel. I've done that several times With various co hosts, and we would pick a day and a time that we would show up, and we would always have an end date. Um, I find having a co host really helps, just like with anything else where you have somebody you're doing it with, but especially in a space where you're talking, whether that's Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces or any of the other new social audios that are popping up, because you'll at least have one other person to talk to. You'll have to show up even if you're embarrassed or scared or have imposter syndrome. And also, that if somebody weird is in the room and is talking, you can be like, wow, thank you so much for that. And uh, go back and talk to your co-host so you can keep the conversation moving. I found it really helpful to help me have to show up and then also get over my fears uh, as well as having an end date of maybe three or four weeks later so that you have to push through those fears and imposter syndrome. But at the end of that, you can decide if you were just uncomfortable because it was new, or if you're uncomfortable because it's something you really don't wanna do and it's not aligned with who you are and how you wanna go forward, but you at least give yourself time to get through that fear period so that you know like, okay, I could do this, and maybe you're not 100% comfortable, but you've at least gone through the first few times where it was really scary, and then you could decide how you wanna go forward.
0: I think that's huge, and that's a great way to sort of wrap this up because you do have to get through the fear and learn the difference between pushing yourself too hard or just being scared at doing something. That's, I deal with that every day. Like just hiking somewhere I haven't been before on my own can be a big deal, you know? Yeah. Cool.
1: Okay. So do you want to take uh, maybe a question or two from the audience?
0: I don't think, I think.
1: I think they got I got the
0: gist. Yeah, I mean, I think I. I mean, Simone, is there anything else that you want to ask, or Samantha, anything else you want to say? I'm feeling good about this.
1: Yeah, I think this was. I mean, of course, this is very valuable, and I think we've gotten um, a lot of um, great insight for from Samantha as far as growth, as far as kind of examining where you fit in, dealing with a lot of different things that come up for everybody, and not just you know, it's not just you. Um, so I'm taking away like. A lot of gems to put in my pocket.
0: Exactly. So Samantha and everybody who's listening now and in the future, thanks so much for joining us on Substack Talk with Siobhan and Diane. Um, You can subscribe to Siobhan's Substack at theflare.substack.com. And my Substack, which is Whole Health with Diane Hatz, is wholehealth.substack.com. We're not officially affiliated with or Endorsed by Substack.
1: We're just two enthusiastic writers with Substack newsletters looking to build more community. Uh, we've recorded today's conversation and we'll post it on our Substacks in the next couple days. Uh, our next Clubhouse event will be on
0: Monday, April 4th, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time. Right well, everyone. Thanks, everyone. And thank you so much, Samantha. Make sure you stay in touch with us.
2: Yes, I thank- will. Thank you so much, ladies.
0: All right. Have a good night. Thank you, everybody.